Heavenly Father, we are just grateful to have the privilege to come tonight and to learn more about you through your word and through Anne and through the people in the groups. And Lord, we just pray that you would reveal yourself to us even more than you already have um, through all the interactions that we have tonight. We want you to reveal yourself to us so that we can know you more. Thank you that you dwell with us and that you have the desire to um, to draw us near. I pray that our hearts would be opened to hear what you would have us to hear. I pray that Anne's words would be clear and that um, we would be changed because of the truth we learned tonight. And I pray, Lord, for the small groups after the teaching time that um, the discussions would be deep and rich and authentic and that we would be able to learn from each other in the way that you intend. Thank you for the privilege of um, just being here and being able to study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Gigi. Um, I know, just like she said, like, Next week is our last week of the study, which is kind of hard to believe, but I really want to commend all of you for just sticking it out, for getting through this study. I hope you feel like you've really taken a lot away from the study of Exodus, gotten to know God a little bit better, and I just think in this crazy world and the crazy times we're living in, it's just more and more essential to know what God says in his word. Like when he says his word goes out, it will not return void. It will accomplish the purposes for which he sent it. Like God is building his word into you um, for his purposes. So be encouraged from being in the study this year. Okay, let there be light. Um, so I look around this room. We're just so glad all of you are here. And um, it's just exciting every time to get to be here. And when I look around this place, it reminds me of the backstory. In 1998, there was a group of eight families that started praying about the idea of becoming a local church. And by 1999, that group of eight families had become 150 people. So in 1999, those people started meeting and they call themselves Watermark Community Church. Well, um, back in the day there, like they met here, there, and everywhere. They met at SMU sometimes. They met at this hotel near SMU on Central. They met in this other college too. And so like every time before you come to church, you'd have to look on the website to see where it was going to be. It was really, it was kind of an exciting time. And then um, a while after that, Watermark found a semi-permanent home in the auditorium of Lake Highlands High School. Were some of y'all around for that time? So, a lot. Anyway, so we met in like Highlands High School for a while, and then the leadership of the church started feeling like God wanted Watermark to find a place of its own. So they started looking very seriously at properties around Dallas and um, just coming up with ideas for the type of place God would want us to have. And so finally, they found this property that was at the intersection of Central Expressway and 635. And they thought, we think this is where God wants Watermark to be. Um, The problem, a problem was, it was really expensive. And so they started processing like, how's that going to happen? 
And one thing they believed was that God did not want Watermark to go into any debt for this property or any other, that God had already resourced the body to purchase whatever property he wanted. So, um, in the beginning of September of 2003, they presented, the leadership presented this opportunity to the body of Watermark. Kind of answered a lot of questions, um, and they needed just shy of $6 million to be able to purchase the property. So, early in September, when they came and they brought this opportunity, gave a lot of information, answered a lot of questions, all that kind of stuff, but they said, okay, we believe that God has resourced us to purchase this property, but we're going to find out for sure in three weeks. They said in sep- on September 28th that we want you to go home before that, pray, process, just ask the Lord what he might want you to contribute for that. And by September 28th, we want you to donate whatever God has shown you. So they gave everybody, they gave us all two envelopes and they said, by September 28th, put whatever you're going to give in one of the envelopes, seal it, put your name, address it to yourself. Take that envelope, put it in the other envelope, and on the front of that, only write the amount that you're going to give. And so during the day on September 28th, we'll total it all up. And if we get the $6 million, we will know that God wants us to move forward with this property, and otherwise... We'll just send all the envelopes back to you, and we'll look at something else. So on the um, day of September 28th, on that evening, the members of Watermark met together to see what the total was going to be. They had not done any um, pledging. They hadn't done any financial consultant. There was no like whining and dining of people that might give a lot of money. They just wanted to trust God and see what he might do. And so on that night, um, when Watermark gathered, a total of $8.1 million was announced. It was more than enough. That amount of money had been contributed in three weeks. And here we are. So the, the leaders knew that they wanted everybody to be part of it. Because when you're invested in something, you just care about it more. So when you hear that story, you go, that's a lot like what we read in Exodus 35 this week. You know, Watermark intentionally followed the pattern of that passage when they acquired this property. But usually people pull Exodus 35 out of context because they want to talk about giving. But we have the advantage of being able to put it in context, and you get a lot more out of it that way. So when you look back to last week, like we had just come off the golden calf. And so God had just reminded them that I am faithful to you even when you are blatantly unfaithful to me. So if you just read this week's passage and you had no other history, you would have gone, look how sweet these people are. They're so generous because he just gets back to business. It's just back to business on planning the tabernacle. There was no black cloud hanging over their head. There was no shaming. Did you let that sink in? Like God really is faithful when we're not faithful. 
Where in your life can you recognize that? Now, this story is it's such a contrast from last week. So last week, like, they're partying around the golden calf. They're like, this is our God. And they're taking off their gold jewelry, and they're donating it to make the calf. This week, they are completely generous. They are wholehearted. They're giving their jewelry to build God's house. Like last week brought out the worst in them. This week brings out the best in them. They are complicated and inconsistent like us. So, you know, Exodus is known for so much drama, but this week there is no drama. The only problem was that they gave too much. We're like, what? I think I can, um, I think I can relate to them more last week than I can this week. And I kind of laughed when I saw that I had this passage this week because this is really an area where I struggle. Like, it's a challenge to me. You know, most of us read this passage and we're like, I know, I should be giving more and I need to have a better attitude. But tonight, I want to show you that this is not just one more to do and one more thing to feel guilty about. This is about a God who owns everything. It's about a God who cares about your heart. And it is about a God who wants us to be part of what he's doing because he loves us. So here's the story. Moses said, uh, he tells the people, from what you have, take an offering for the materials to build the tabernacle. From those whose hearts are willing. He's like, bring the materials, bring your skills. And they do. So what do we see from that? That God resources you so you can give, so you can be part of what he's doing. He gives to you, the ultimate giver. And God cares just as much about your heart as he does about how much you give. My heart, apart from Christ, I'm all about getting. I'm not at all about giving. So I need to let truth inform my heart. The truth is, it's all his. God asks them to give. He tells them exactly what he wants them to give, and it is good stuff. So it's like 2,800 pounds of gold and 9,800 pounds of silver and this other stuff. You're like, what? These people were slaves not that long ago. They probably never owned much in their lives, and they're camping in the wilderness? But we know, because we've been in Exodus, that they got this stuff from Egypt. That when they left Egypt, God had already told them this would happen. That when they left, the people were like, here, take my jewelry. Here, take these treasure and valuables. And so they walked out with a lot. So you go, okay, well, what what did God have planned? Like, it wasn't so that they could wear a lot of nice jewelry in the wilderness and drink from gold cups. Although I thought it was kind of funny uh, last week in chapter 32, if you notice, like it said they took off their gold jewelry and gave it for the calf. So I guess some of them were wearing nice jewelry in the desert. But you see this week that it's like, oh no, the reason he had resourced them like this is just, it's for this. So they could be part of it. The truth is, it's all his. Your time, your talent, your treasure, your stuff, yourself. Do you believe that? Like, 
I say I do, but I don't necessarily live like I do. So be like going to your bank and you'd say, well, I'd like to withdraw $1,000. If your bank said, mm, no, we're going to keep it. You'd be like, hello, this is my money. You're just holding on to it until I need it. Do you see it that way? And your time, it's his. Some people consider their time the most valuable thing they have. In fact, somebody in Patrice's group last week said, I value my time more than anything. Do you ask God to show you how he wants you to use your day? Like offer it to him when you wake up. Acknowledge to God that the day's his. If you do that, you will see it differently when you have interruptions and when your day doesn't go the way you scheduled it. My kids, when they were really little, learned this song. And it says, good morning, God. This is your day. I am your child. Show me your way. And when, when I heard them come home with that, I'm like, this is not just a kid's song. Good morning, God. This is your day. I'm your child. Show me your way. You'll, you'll see your day differently. And your talents, it's his. Your skills, your knowledge, what you're good at, God gave you that. Over and over in this passage, it's like the Lord gave them skill in this and that. It's true of you and me too. So in our passage, we see this guy, Bezalel, and his sidekick, Oholiab, and uh, yeah, I did not look up how to pronounce that, but we're gonna go with we're gonna go with that. So, so this guy Bezalel um, was probably very skilled. You didn't see anybody go like Bezalel, like he's an accountant. No, nope. so probably when they were back in Egypt, they probably had part of building some magnificent structures in Egypt. So they were artisans and carpenters and craftsmen, and they're probably very good at doing some of those things. But did you think it was interesting? It said the Lord sent his spirit, capital S spirit, to fill Bezalel so he could do this task the way God wanted. Now for us today, if you know Christ, God's spirit indwells you and empowers you to do things. But that was not the case in the Old Testament. So we see maybe a handful of times in the Old Testament where it says, God's spirit came upon somebody to do a particular thing. And so Bezalel is this only like, he's the only like regular guy that that happened to. Like in other cases, it would be like some prophet or king or somebody important. So you go, okay, this must have been a big deal. So probably God gave Bezalel this task that was in line with his skills, but it was really somehow beyond his ability. Otherwise, we wouldn't have needed God's spirit. Has God ever done that with you? To give you a task that's beyond your ability. I think he does it all the time. To drive us to depend on him. So we'll know he's doing it, not take credit. Do you know that God is an expert in everything? He's an expert in your career field. So... When you go to work in the morning, you go, God, equip me to to do my work today, to do it the way you want me to do it, to do it with excellence. 
It's God who equips us in every way. So we see in this chapter, like, everybody used the skills that they had. This was like a project, the way a project should be done. And so even the women, it particularly points out the women. It said they brought their sewing skills and their yarn spinning skills. And I was, had to kind of laugh because I am totally not gifted in sewing or anything crafty. Like on sewing, if you could sew it the front to the back or upside down, I will do it every time. And sewing stresses me out. So like I would not have fit in. I, um, I do like to use power tools. So maybe I could have found a spot there. But take a minute and think, how has God gifted you? Not just like spiritual sounding things, but what are you good at? God gave that to you because he wants to use it. If you've never thought about that, ask him. I I thought as those Bezalel and those guys probably were going to do some things on the tabernacle that they had done before, but imagine how different it was for them instead of doing it for Egyptian slave masters to use those same skills for that God who loved them and had given to them. And I think for us, it may be the same way. You may have some skills and you've used them in a previous part of your life in a way that made you miserable. But now you can take those same things and use those for God. And how different is that when we're doing it to serve him? And then your treasure. Everything you have is his. Do you see it that way? I'm the bank. It's his account. A lot of times we're like, no, I worked hard for that. It's mine. So right before they go into the promised land um, in Deuteronomy, Moses gives the people a warning. This is from Deuteronomy 8. He said, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, wheat, barley, olive oil, honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you'll lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and when your silver and gold increase, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness brought you water out of rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. That is still true for us today. And it's not even just our stuff. You and I are his. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. The price being Jesus' sacrifice of his life. He gave that to you. Now, God created all people and we're his. But apart from Christ, we are selfish. We want to go our own way. And we want to use our time and our talent and our treasure for us. We want to be the boss of that. 1 Peter 1.18 calls that a futile way of life. Ever been there? And it separates us from God. But God loved us so much while we were right there that he sent Jesus 
to die for our selfish, golden calf-worshiping, fetal way of life. And then he raised Jesus to life again so that anyone who trusts Christ will be saved. So we're his. He bought us out of slavery to sin and self. He redeemed us. We're praying that not one of you will walk out of this room without knowing and understanding what Jesus Christ did for you. If you have questions about that, talk to your leader, talk to me. We would love to have that conversation with you. That's what we're celebrating on Easter. So think about this. Jesus' work on the cross, it is finished. But it's not the end of the story. Like otherwise, everybody just would have gone right up to heaven right then and it would have all been over. So he lives. He is living to call people into a relationship with him. He is living to call people to follow him. But the main way he does that today, it's through us. We use what he has given us. So we're part of that. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, and that Greek word is poema. It means masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he's prepared certain things for us to do, and he resources you with time and talent and treasure so you can do those. And he resources each of us differently. A few years ago, um, I worked with this woman who was a single mom. It was around Christmas, and she was so stressed out about Christmas. She's like, I don't know how I'm going to do with my kids. And it was like God just said, hey, I want to help her, and I want to use you to do it. So we were able to give to her to help out with Christmas. It was a no-brainer. It wasn't that I was so good and generous. It was just good of God. God created us to do things like that. So when you see everything as his, it makes your relationship with him more intimate, makes you closer. Really thought about that this week. So when you wake up, good morning, God. This is your day. I'm your child. Show me your way. You've made me good at this. How do you want to use it? And sometimes we talk about our talent. That doesn't just mean talent in the way that our world would describe talent. Um, Sometimes our talent is just we're willing. We're willing to get involved. Or we have the gift of showing up. And say, God, you've provided me with resources, with things. How do you want to use that? Don't ask God to partner with you in your plan. Partner with God in his plan. When you let truth inform your heart that it's all his, God's like, I'm generous with you. I delight in giving you good gifts and equipping you. That can change your heart. We see in our passage that God cares about your heart. He's not just like, pay up, you owe me. Most religions are about rule following. They mostly all have this list of rules, these things you need to do for God so that he will accept you. Christianity is just the opposite. We can never repay God. He's not asking us to. Christianity is not about what we do for God. 
It's about what Christ has done for us. A response to the God that's given us everything. So what's your heart like? Um, I thought of just some windows into your heart. How do you spend your money? It's a window into your heart. If you look at your credit card statement or your bank statement, it may show you a picture that's different than what you think. It reveals my selfish heart. What are you holding back from God? That's a window into your heart. Most of us are like, okay, God, you can have this and this and this, but not this. We hold on to this one thing. What's at the root of that? It's usually fear or unbelief. We're like, God, i got to manage this because I don't totally trust that you're going to take care of my needs. So if you have a thing like that, take that thing and picture it in the hands of God. Does that worry you or does that calm you? Depends on your view of God. God says in Philippians 4, I will meet all your needs according to my glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Is that true or not? Or we hold these things back from God just out of plain old selfishness. We're like, God, I don't believe you're going to give me everything I want. God's like, you are right about that. And again, the root of that is that we don't trust God. We never say it this way, but a lot of times we're like, oh, God, I'm, I'm only okay if I have plenty of money, I'm healthy, I'm comfortable, and people admire me. And there are people in this town, in this country, in this world who use the name of Christ, and they go, yeah, exactly right. Like God does want you to have it all. If you're faithful and if you obey him and if you ask, God wants to give you all that. He wants you to be rich. He only wants you to be healthy. It's called the prosperity gospel. And it is a lie. Yeah, they'll ask you to give to them. And, but they'll, they'll couch it in a way that giving is never sacrificial because they're like, well, you know, if you give God $100, he's going to give you back 10000 And it's a lie. Think of Paul's life. Think of Jesus. And then when you give, what are you looking for in return? A lot of times we give to get something back from other people. We um, get manipulated or we give to people, please. I do that. Sometimes we give so people will admire us. Or sometimes we give just so we'll feel better about ourselves. We give out of our own misplaced guilt. Or we give to get something back from God. We're like, God, if I do this for you, you're kind of going to owe me. If I do this, you're, kinda, you're obligated to do something for me. God will not be manipulated. So these people in our chapter, they seem like genuinely, they're delighted to give. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Are you a cheerful giver? Am I? Not always. <laughs> Do you give out of duty or devotion? Guilt or gratefulness? And how all this plays out really depends on your view of God. If you 
Know that God loves you, that he is your perfect father and you are his beloved child. If we even had half a clue of everything he had given us and the way he wants to use those things he's given us, we, we, then we can trust him with everything. But if you view God as this stern God who's like always wanting you to pay up, who thinks you have to earn his acceptance then you're never going to fully trust him with your stuff or yourself. These people had seen God's goodness over and over, hadn't they? God got them out of slavery. He uh, parted the Red Sea so they could escape. He gave them manna in the wilderness, water from a rock, his own visible presence to guide them. And then he showed them that he is faithful, that he would not abandon them, even when they were very unfaithful. They did not always respond well, but here they did, more than enough. Think about where you've seen God's goodness to you over time. Do you believe God is good to you? You can never outgive him. Where has God given you more than enough? may not be money. It might be time or talent. So look for ways to respond out of the overflow of what God's given you. There's some women in my neighborhood who kind of processed that recently in the fall. They were like, we know God's given us a lot. Like, God, where do you want us to use it? So they went to an elementary school that's um, fairly nearby. None of their kids go to that school. And they said, how can we help? This school is under-resourced financially, and they don't have much volunteer manpower. And so they have formed a relationship with this elementary school. And so I've done things like um, having people donate money so that kids who can't afford to pay the fee for a field trip can go on the field trip. They gave a teacher appreciation lunch um, a few months ago. And now they're getting into the classroom. So they're starting this thing where people can go in and read in the classroom. They look for ways to use the time, talent, and treasure that God had given them. I think God has each of us in this passage this week by no accident. Because he wants to show you some new way that he wants to use what he's given you. Ask him. My willing heart, so this program at this school, so they're starting this reader thing, and so Friday was the first day they did it. And so they're doing it Friday and then every month after this. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to sign up for the other months, but Friday, I don't have time. And so all week I've been looking at this passage, and so God's kind of like, maybe I want you to go read at this school, and maybe you have time. So I went to the sign-up, and I was hoping that all the places were full, but uh, there was one spot left. So I knew it was mine. So Friday when I walked in the school, though, it, it really had changed my perspective toward it. My attitude was different because I knew I was doing what God wanted me to do right then. And there's nothing better than knowing you are where God wants you to be, doing what he wants you to do. God's like, I'm letting you partner with me. 
And then finally, God wants us to be part of what he's doing because he loves us. Aren't you excited when people you love are part of what you're doing? Like it makes you closer. God's plan was to build this tabernacle and he always accomplishes what he planned. So you think, okay, could God have resourced Moses? All those Egyptians could have just given it all to Moses. He could have taken care of it. Could Watermark have acquired this property with donations from just a handful of people? Yeah. He can do it all without us. He doesn't need us. But he wants us to be part of what he's doing. He loves us. Now, as you know, I've already got my pictures up there. Um, I am not a special occasion grandmother. I'm the everyday grandmother because um, I see, especially our boys, like all the time. So um, I'm part of what they're doing. I go to their stuff. I play with their toys with them. And when they're with me, they do what I'm doing. So pretty much when the boys come over, like when they first get there, I'll be like, Hunter, and he's our three-year-old. I'm like, will you make me some coffee? And so he like can't wait to drag a chair over and get up and make coffee, which he's been doing since he was one year old. Cause you know, so he kind of knows me like that. But a couple of weeks ago they came over and we had a ladder up we're doing something. And so you would have thought it was the greatest toy we ever had. So they're like climbing the ladder and they were like, can we get some tools? Like we want to work. So we go and get some tools. And then I thought, about something that needed to be done. I was like, do y'all want to do some real work? So we dragged the ladder into the hall where um, we have this part of our sheetrock that has been patched that needs a little work. So I let them like have a piece of sandpaper and like sand off the wall. And then I'm like, we're going to paint it. So um, I gave them each a paintbrush and let them paint. And like, that was so much fun. Just to be part of what we were going to be doing anyway. Now, when they left, I painted the entire thing over. Um, so did I need them to do it? No. But I loved them to be part of what I was going to be doing anyway. It makes us closer. You hear people say, life's too short not to have the best stuff. Life's too short not to drink the best wine. Is it? Or is life too short not to invest in the kingdom of God? The only things that will last are the word of God and the souls of men. Invest your time and your talent and your treasure and your heart in those things that will last, not things that will leave you wanting more. Now, hear me. There is nothing wrong with having nice stuff. It is okay to buy that purse. It is okay to go on that cool trip because God wants us to enjoy what he's given us. Just don't invest your heart there. Think about what in your life needs to go and what needs to grow. Building the tabernacle was a special project. But God is still building his kingdom today. And the main way he does that is through us. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5 says, You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. He wants to use you to build what he's building. Like we're the building materials. 
One of the women on our leadership team teaches at a Christian school, and she was saying last week that when they have a faculty meeting, the leaders of the school really um, value what they're doing. And they're like, wow, what you're doing is so valuable. The way you're spending your time, you are building the kingdom of God. And they are. Like teachers in Christian schools are building the kingdom of God. But so are CPAs and moms and teachers in public schools, women in business, women that do just what you do. We each have a role. That's why God doesn't all have us the same place doing the same thing. It's a project done the way a project should be done. It's like the picture of the body of Christ, people serving the way they're resourced. And I just thought about our study. We're kind of a little microcosm of the body of Christ. I just thought about the ways that you all are gifted that you use here. I mean, I thought about Stephanie, a living stone. She and her team are using their giftedness, of which I am in much awe, to make this thing run smoothly. Karen and her team, they're using their giftedness to make you feel welcome, to have food when you come, like to make you feel like somebody was expecting you and glad you're here. And then Andrew and Kelsey, they're keeping up with placement of the groups. God uses that. And then the teachers and your leaders, your leaders invest themselves in you. Um, They care about you. They dig deeply into God's word so that they can encourage and challenge you and have answers that you need. Um, Rachel and Kelly, they look up articles to clarify some of the really hard things in Exodus, and they send those out so that your leaders and you too can be equipped. And then there's the staff. Just a little picture of the living stones. God is building his house. You are part of something bigger than you. You're part of the cause of Christ in the world. And Jesus says believers are like a city set on a hill that cannot be hid, a powerful force. He says of his church that the gates of hell cannot overcome it. So, I'm not asking you to write a check or sew something or give your jewelry. I'm asking you to go all in for the cause of Christ. That every part of my life, your life, will be toward calling people into a relationship with him. Calling people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To serve and be the hands and feet, the ears, the voice of Jesus. Jesus died and was raised to life so that you can do that. Like, celebrate Easter. It just starts with your heart. Good morning, God. This is your day. I'm your child. Show me your way. And God will respond by telling you, I want to use your time and your talent and your treasure and yourself to do something that was more than you can imagine. Will you pray with me? And then I'm going to talk a little bit about next week. Lord, thank you that you are the ultimate giver. Your best gift that we can never fully comprehend is 
the sacrifice of Jesus for us. Lord, you've given us the gift of eternity with you. Lord, you've given us many things along the way that you want to use in ways that are going to make your name more famous. Lord, we were created to do those things, so we will be satisfied when we are using them for you. Lord, I pray for the groups tonight, Lord, that just um, the conversation will be rich and real, that um, we'll all be encouraged and challenged. Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you that he died and he rose again. We pray all that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So next week is our last week. So um, if you've been with us before, it'll be very similar. So come in here next week, sit with your group. So we'll just, there'll be a sign on each table with your leader's name so you'll know where to sit. We're going to have pizza for everybody. So we're going to provide dinner for everybody in the next week. So just be ready for that too. So we'll have our teaching. Um, we'll have the group time. So go ahead and do your lesson because we're going to have that too. But the last part of the evening, we will have our say-so um, which is just an opportunity for anybody that wants to, to stand up and tell of what God has done this year. Maybe just a tiny little thing, or you may have a real dramatic story. Um, but just pray and ask God how he might want to use what you've gained from this study to encourage somebody else. Because that's how it works. Um, so... I would, one thing we had thought about too was um, that, you know, you ha- we've used the big idea in our curriculum. We've got that box at the end every week. So um, if you want to go back, go back to lesson one and just read your big idea every, for every week. It will string together the story of what happened in Exodus and what God showed you each week. And so I hope you'll be really encouraged at what you've taken away from Exodus. And it'll just be a kind of a springboard just to reflect and think about um, the end of our study. So look forward to next week. Thanks.